Good morning again. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossians, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope held for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also in its consistently bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Ephraim, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attending of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which was hidden from the past ages and generations and has been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known that what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man and all with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You may be seated. Good morning. Oh, that was a sleepy good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's so much better. That's so much better. It is good to be in the Lord's house this morning. It's good to have the word open. And I pray that in the next few minutes, as we have this word open before us, that the Holy Spirit would teach us the very things he would desire for us to know. I pray that we came in here today with a desire, first and foremost, to worship our great God and Savior. Thank you, Greg, for leading us in that, and Sandy, in our time of worship and song. We now have an opportunity to worship our Lord through the reading. Thank you, Bud, for the reading of the Word and the study of the Word. 
This is an opportunity. This is a privilege that we have every week. Let's not take this for granted. So, with that in mind, I would ask that you would bow and and pray with me as we go to the Lord and ask of Him to give us what He would desire for us to have this morning from His Word here in Colossians chapter 1. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank You for this sure word of testimony that You've given to us in Your Scripture. Father, this morning as we walk through this text, I pray, Father, that we would walk as You would have us to walk going through the text. Oh, Father, I pray that Your word would would come alive. It is alive. It's active. I pray, Lord, in our hearts and our minds today, though, it it would be just that. That there would be a desire as we sit here in these chairs today, Lord, there would be a desire to hunger and thirst for more of you. I pray that, Lord, for this church of yours here at Hope in Christ. May we walk together in unity and be of one mind walking together, exalting your name as we walk. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord, our Savior, our Rock and Redeemer. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, I was drawn to Colossians chapter 1 this week in thinking about five years together. For, For those of you, by the way, just as a side note here, how many of you have been here for the entirety of the five years with the church? So one, two, three, four, about four families. All right, great. How many have been here about four years? Good, three, two, one, less than one. All right, we, got, we have people in every category. That's great, wonderful. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, I believe uh, one of the young men said to me as I was coming in here this morning, can't believe it's been five years. It goes by quickly, doesn't it? It really does. Well, what a blessing we have this morning to be able to celebrate God's goodness uh, to those of us here in particular at Hope in Christ. But drawn to Colossians chapter 1 and thinking about five years of, of life together here, I was drawn in particular to Paul's heart of prayer for the saints in Colossae. I was reminded of the shepherd and his role for the flock. I was refreshed as I read. And one of my primary responsibilities before the Lord, one of two, Scripture says in Acts 6, 4, Ministry in the word and in prayer. You know, I was also reminded in terms of this past week how important it is to have a savior. Amen? To have a refuge to someone that we can run to and cling to in times of trouble. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is what? Strong tower. And the righteous run to it and are safe. You know, I was drawn to, and I'm sure many of you saw, all the things that happened in Connecticut on Thursday. Several things came out of that. Different articles things, if you read, newspapers, headlines. And I was drawn to one of the things that our president spoke of as he was visiting out there. And he was speaking of these children who had lost their lives. And I don't know, I I came across this and I read it. But he says, they had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own. And I got to thinking about that. 
and no doubt from a human perspective, we as parents, don't we? we? We'd like to be able to think and look forward to that time. But you know, I was reminded, as I was thinking about that, I was reminded about the brevity of life, the stuff of life. Some of that stuff, not necessarily bad or wrong. Some of that stuff can be good. But you know, the truth of the matter is, there's not one of us here who knows what a day might bring. We live in a culture, it seems, of entitlement, which thinks it deserves birthdays, graduations, weddings, children and the like. There's no guarantee, though, is there? You know, I'm reminded of prayer this week. It's interesting that we're reading a passage on prayer in the midst of what happened in our world this week. The whole nation, it seems, has been mindful of what went on in Connecticut, and rightfully so. Moments of silence have been given beginning of some of the ball games this weekend that I worked. This time of silence and remembering these young people and some of the teachers and administrators, families. It's been the talk of conversation this weekend. And yet in the midst of it all, no one seems to be talking about the core of the problem. No one seems interested in addressing the fundamental issue at hand. In all the news headlines and articles, I've yet to come across anyone speaking of this root problem that we seem to have here. It's a three-letter word. It's sin. The text today is a prayer for the church in Colossae, written from prison. Colossians 4.18, Paul calls the church there to remember his chains. This is one of his prison epistles written by Paul as he is moved by the Holy Spirit in writing. There's a stirring in Paul's heart toward the saints in Colossae. Epaphras, this dear fellow servant, the text says in verse 7, who is a faithful minister of Christ. Later on in chapter 4, we see that Epaphras in 4 verse 12 is one of them. He has informed Paul of the spiritual state of those in Colossae. And out of that, Paul pens a prayer of genuine concern for these saints. Now, Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that he had been in prayer for the saints in Colossae. 1 verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. But here in verse 9... Upon hearing from Epaphras, Paul is compelled to earnestly pray for these saints. We see in verse 9, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. For this reason. For what reason? I hope when you read the text, you ask that question. For this reason. For what reason? Since, we, since the day we heard it. Since the day we heard what? You see the questions that need to be asked as you read the text. And so when we look, it is helpful. If we pick this back up and lead right into nine. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 
and of your love for all the saints. Those are two things that he'd heard of. The wonderful things to be heard of as a church. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Reminds me of the words Peter in chapter 1. Kept in heaven for you. Of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world. So see, this gospel is not just for the church at Colossae. This gospel has been moving. The world knows about it. This gospel of truth. And is bringing forth fruit. As it is also among you. Since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You see, there's a connection, is there not, between a church bearing fruit and hearing and knowing the grace of God and truth. You see, it's hard to bear fruit when we don't know the grace of God and truth. Or as Ephesians says in chapter 4, the truth which is in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. So you see, they were taught by and were open to hear from Epaphras, dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Look at verse 8. Who also declared to us, to us. Sometimes that us is a, is a collective we. Sometimes he uses that. Um, and here we look back at, at, at chapter 1, verse 1. We see that Paul is up front, but we also see Timothy. Paul and Timothy. So, so sometimes you have to look in context to be able to see, is the we talking about lots of people? Or is the we an apostolic we, as in just Paul and, and, and Timothy? Okay, we, For this reason, we. So verse 8 is, is, is important to see before we get to 9. Who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras delivers helpful information to Paul informing him of the Colossians' love in the Spirit. It's interesting that that phrase, in the Spirit, that's where love comes from, right? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, love. And out of that primary information, Paul says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, and here again we have to stop, heard what? I take you back to Colossians 1 verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and since we heard of your love for all the saints. In verse one, chapter 1 verse 8, Epaphras is also coming and, and declaring to them, to Paul, Timothy, the Colossians' love in the Spirit in particular. So you see, in light of what Paul and Timothy had heard, the text says that we also do not cease to pray for you. Do not cease to pray for you. And you know, as an elder, this is my heart's desire for this church family. In general, this church family, I would want you to know this, this church family is prayed for quite often. But as specific needs come to my attention, to the attention of Kevin and Ralph, as immediate prayer requests come to the elders, it's, it's my hope that we too can pattern our lives after the example of Paul, praying for the church at Hope in Christ without ceasing. Now, that phrase, without ceasing, begs a series of questions, perhaps. And I, I'm reminded of what Paul says in the very next letter in the scriptures, in 1 Thessalonians, if you just turn a couple pages, the 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16, 17, and 18, it says, Rejoice, these are some concluding remarks, exhortations, if you will. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And then we read this, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
So, not only, not only is praying without ceasing instructive and important for us as elders to be praying for the flock in that manner, but I see here it's also instructive that the flock, the flock, pray without ceasing. Because you see, this too is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Some of you immediately might be asking the question, or at least thinking the question, how can I pray without ceasing? I have a life, I I can't be on my knees 24-7. Maybe you've heard someone say that. To be in a constant state of prayer, though, that's what we're looking at, a constant state of prayer, Mindful of the things of God. Mindful of the people of God. Mindful of one another. Constantly, throughout the day, offering to God prayer for brothers and sisters and their spiritual state before the Lord. If you take notice in the text, Colossians, the prayer for the church at Colossae is centered on this... This may be a novel idea. It's centered on the things of the Lord. This is truly a God-centered prayer. The things that are being asked for in this prayer are connected to their relationship with Christ. Paul's desire, church, if we look at verse 9, He says, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, one important part of prayer, there are many aspects to it that we see throughout the scriptures, but there's a a part that's mentioned here that I didn't want to just bypass. The phrase, and to ask. To ask. Matthew chapter 7, we haven't gotten to it yet in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord willing, one of these days, one of these Sundays, we will arrive in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. And Jesus says, ask. Proper rendering there, in terms of the language, would be, keep on asking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek or keep on seeking and you will find. Knock, keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Ask. You know, the Bible says elsewhere in the book of James that we have not, because we ask not. James chapter 4, verse 2. The very next verse says you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. Sometimes the prayers do not get answered. Why? Because the motive is absolutely wrong, out of place. It's not in accordance with the will of God. When you ask of God, do you realize what you need? You see, in the context of trials, James says that you need wisdom. Chapter 1, 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, any of you here ever lacked wisdom in knowing how to navigate, how to to make it through a trial? I have. Praise the Lord for the words. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask of God. What about God? Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Praise the Lord for that. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You see, wisdom is needed. Wisdom, that is, wisdom from above, James says later in James chapter 3. James is highly instructive in this, in this arena of prayer. And in our asking, the Bible says that we are to ask in faith. With no doubting. When you offer prayer to God, is there any recognition of what your God can do? 
Do you just put it on autopilot and pray to God? Or do you really truly recognize that, that when I'm praying and have a, having asked God and praying to this God of the universe, this God of all creation, any recollection there of the wonderful works of God in the scriptures when we pray? Are you familiar with the times that God showed up and worked mightily through faith? Faithful men and women, that is, who prayed to God. What is it then in the text that Paul asks of God for on behalf of the saints in Colossae? That's the next question. He says, and to ask that you may be filled. See, that was the desire of Paul's heart. That the church at Colossae, the saints in Colossae, would be filled. Filled with what? Filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Church, isn't this the prayer we ought to be praying for one another? This is the key part of the whole text right here. If you, if you miss everything else, get this. He's asking God to fill the saints in Colossae with the knowledge of God's will. Everything else in this text that we're going to be covering flows out of this particular part of the verse in verse 9. Okay, so let's be real clear on it. That's what he's asking for. Oh, by the way, as an elder, this is also my prayer for you, that you might be filled to the full with an intimate knowledge of God's will. See, coupled with knowing His will, this is important, coupled with knowing His will is knowing who God is. My prayer, church, is that you might know God. Do you know the God of the Scriptures? That's my prayer. I'm concerned that perhaps some have little or no desire for the will of God in their lives. See, if the will or desire of God is not primary in your life, by the way, just as a side note, everything that Jesus did while he was here, he did in accordance to the will of the Father. The things that he did, the words that he spoke, all in accordance to what the Father directed him to do. If the will of God is not primary in your life, other things are going to then take center stage, aren't they? It's going to crowd out God's will. The chamber of your heart no longer cherishes the will of God, and, but it does begin to entertain other loves. The, the will of the individual seems to be highlighted today. The will, and we think even in the parts of the body, the individual parts of the body, a body that is called by the Scripture to walk in unity, to keep in step with the Spirit, to be of one mind. You see, this desire to do things your own way, it goes against church what the Lord has already spoken in His Word. The prayer for this body, as it was for the church in Colossae, is that you all may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, here's where it gets... This gets really good. This is exciting for me as I, as I think about how this is all laid out in the text. Because then the next question is, in what manner might you be filled with the knowledge of His will? The text says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let me give you some verses here that would be helpful. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. How about Proverbs 9, verse 10? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is what? 
understanding. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Why? For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. You see... Spiritual wisdom and understanding come from above. (laughs) They come from above. You must be born again. According to Corinthians chapter 2, to understand spiritual things. Amen? You can't understand spiritual things if you are not a spiritual man. Paul says... The natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit. Can't comprehend them. James 3.13 says, and he asks the question that needs to be asked right here in what we're talking about in Colossians. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Great question. Let him show by good conduct. Let him show. By good conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show. Paul asks God that the saints in Colossae may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The kind of wisdom characterized by James 3.17. What is that wisdom? It's wisdom that is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle. Willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the kind of wisdom that's called for. That's characteristic of the wisdom from above. So when you think about that, it's a joy, is it not? To picture a church filled with the knowledge of God's will, equipped with this kind of wisdom and understanding. This is Paul's prayer in verse 9. And it's my prayer. For hope in Christ. That God would fill each one of his children here in this place. With his knowledge. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. As wonderful as verse 9 is. There's more. Verses 10, 11, 12 go together. I want to make sure you understand what Paul is communicating here in his prayer. The construction here in verses 10, 11, 12 could be a little tricky. Verse 10 begins this way. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Now, if you are studying this in the English language, you might be inclined to attach this to the previous verse where it says, and to ask. You might tend to think that this is something else that he's asking in his prayer. The construction, though, in the original language is a bit different and leads us to view this in a different manner. A better rendering here in verse 10, um, and maybe a more helpful rendering in verse 10, would be so that, or so as to walk. Okay, so what's the point? You're asking, what's the point? What's the big deal here? The point is this. Paul asks God that the saints in Colossae might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In verse 10, Paul is not asking something additional per se, but showing the very relationship between one's knowledge of God's will and his ability to walk and live in a godly manner. That's what he's showing. That's what he's pointing out. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Think about it. Having a mind filled with the knowledge of God's will. Having his perspective on life. This is needed in order that you might walk worthy of the Lord. 
how else can I walk worthy of the Lord? Do you, do you see how being filled with the knowledge of His will is the catalyst for walking worthy of the Lord? If I am to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, don't I need to be filled with the knowledge of His will? Won't being filled with the knowledge of His will lead me to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? I'm asking several different questions. They all kind of drive in at the same point, though. They go together. And church, my prayer is that you too would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in such a way, in such a way that it produces as a result a walk worthy of the Lord. I pray the result is a walk that fully pleases God. Let's be about pleasing God with our lives. That's my prayer. And church, I desire for your lives, just as I desire my own life and the lives of family members inside our household, I desire our lives to count for God. I desire for you, church, to walk in a way that characterizes the very heart of God. So what exactly, next question, what exactly does this kind of walk look like? In what manner should you walk to fully please the Lord? You see how we're asking questions of the text? And do you see then how the text answers the questions? There are, grammatically speaking, four participles next in the text. And they describe, at least in part, what this walk looks like. Here's the outcome, in other words, of one filled with the knowledge of God's will. Number one, being fruitful. Being fruitful, verse 10. As you think about being fruitful, Galatians 5 immediately comes to mind. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it shows us the kind of fruit that Christ's follower produces. In that same text, it's clear that the fruit flows out of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you as a child of God. The kind of fruit spoken of here is spiritual in nature, and yet the context is important. The context for which this fruit is to be seen, according to the text is in every good work. In every good work. You see, having the knowledge of God's will as a charter for your life will result in being fruitful. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just among brothers and sisters. But in every good work. When you are filled with the will of God, you will bear fruit in all your works. Your home life will be different Let me say that again. Your home life will be different. Your workplace will be different. Your relationships with people in general will be different. How you deal with difficult people will be different. It'll be different. All of it's going to be different. Why? Because if you have the knowledge of God's will, And flowing out of a knowledge of God's will is a walk worthy of the Lord. Characteristic of a walk worthy of the Lord. First and foremost, at least according to the text here, is being fruitful. Being fruitful is going to be evidenced. Are you bearing any fruit? Are you? You can answer that. Perhaps husbands and wives can ask that question to each other. Be ready. You may not like the answer. Children, the question goes out to you as well. Are you bearing fruit? If you are in the Lord, are you bearing fruit? See, a walk worthy of the Lord, which flows out of being filled with the knowledge of His will... This is evidenced in a life that bears fruit. Well, closely connected to bearing fruit is the next one. 
Increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing. Some of your translations might have growing. Increasing or growing. Increasing in what? We're increasing in the knowledge of God. Doesn't it make good sense? Sometimes the practicality of things is a wonderful thing to see in the scripture. This makes good sense, church. That being filled with the knowledge of God's will produces a walk characterized by an increase in the knowledge of God. Is there a desire in your life to know God and the things of God? Is there a desire to open this Bible and learn from God himself? Are you desirous, church, to be taught, as Isaiah says, to be taught by God? You accumulate a lot of knowledge. But the question is, are you increasing, are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you content with where you are? Are you growing? Paul is praying for the Colossians, desiring for them to increase in their knowledge of who God is. Why would that be so important? And by the way, just a side note, if you read Colossians, you'll see this emphasis upon knowledge that's brought up on a few different occasions. It's important, especially in this context in which Paul is writing, because you see they were being bombarded with some other philosophies and other empty traditions. It was important that they had the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. It's just as important for you today that you too, bombarded with all the stuff that gets thrown at you, to know the truth and to have the knowledge of that truth of God. One other reason is so important. As you come to know who God is, it will serve as a valuable, trusted Resource in times of trial. I.e., wouldn't it be good from this past week and the events of this past week to have the anchor for your soul already in place? To be growing and increasing in God already? But you see, if we look at that next participle, by the way, I want you to see the connection between bearing fruit, being fruitful, and increasing in knowledge. Those, those are connected. But we also see a connection here between increasing and growing in the next one here, verse 11. Strengthen. Look at that. Strengthen. He prays that they might be strengthened. In what manner? He says, with all might. With all might. By what means? According to his glorious power. For what purpose are they to be strengthened? For all patience and long suffering. Two words there endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. Prayer for patience and endurance is needed right now. Isn't this the kind of thing to be praying for, for those in Connecticut right now in particular? Patience and endurance. Praying that they would be strengthened. You see, this would be evidence manifested in the life of one who was filled with the knowledge of God's will one who is walking worthy of the Lord, is going to exhibit this characteristic, not of pulling myself up by my bootstraps, as the saying goes, but being strengthened by His glorious power. There's something in that person. You see it. You see what's going on in their life, and you wonder, how are they doing it? They're doing it by the glorious power Strengthening them to endure and to have patience in the midst of the trial. Church, every single one of us need that kind of strength. When the bottom falls out. We need it. And that's the kind of strength he's praying for for this church. Bearing fruit. And increasing in the knowledge of God, those are connected. 
but so is increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened. You see, as you grow in your knowledge of God, you can know. As you grow in your knowledge of God, you can know that you have a refuge, that you have a shelter in God through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's so important for us to know. So as you navigate through the trials and the troubles that come in the context of life, the prayer here is to be strengthened for all patience and endurance. The trials will come. And when they do, the prayer is that God would grant His strength, His glorious power to enable us to continue walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And what a testimony this can be when the world sees a believer in Jesus Christ who has gone through some things that from the world's perspective, awful, tragic, terrible, oh, I can't believe it. And they see a believer in Jesus Christ. They see someone who is filled with the knowledge of God's will, concerned about God's will, someone who then is walking in a manner worthy of God himself, desiring to fully please him. And they see that person, and they see evidence in that person's life of the Holy Spirit working mightily. Oh, what a testimony it can be. The fourth one, giving thanks. Oh, by the way, before we go to giving thanks, there's a a preposition I left out at the end of verse 11. I just want to mention it because it is important. In the midst of going through hard stuff, how do you go through hard stuff? This ties into your testimony, church. Ties into your testimony. If you're going through the hard stuff, and you see what it says there about endurance and patience, and I'm going to go through, I'm going to make through and you, and you go through it with a spirit of bitterness, a spirit that lacks what verse 11 says, with joy. Doesn't that tie into what James says about consider it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds? That's such an odd verse, I know. I know it is. But we can have joy. We must have joy thinking about not only our testimony, but also what it means, what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. This is characteristic of that walk. The manner in which we do these things with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks. Giving thanks. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. See, Paul prays for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. And once again, characteristic of this worthy walk of the Lord is gratitude. Gratitude. Giving thanks to the Father. Do you show gratitude, church, to the Father? Let me just ask this. I hope this is a silly question, but I'm going to ask it. For what reason ought we to give thanks? Is there any immediate answer that comes to mind? Go ahead, somebody can say something. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. And that's the specific one we're going to arrive at. And that's the specific one Paul's going to get to here. But for starters, in terms of gratitude, for starters, how about the breath that you're breathing right now? Take your pulse. Put your finger on your wrist or on your neck. Get your heartbeat for just a moment. Hopefully all of you will be able to find it. Okay? And you feel that, that beat. That's praise to the Lord. Because, you see, the Lord is the one who has orchestrated all things in this human body to work like they should. Right now, you're breathing. You can breathe in and out. Right now, you've got a pulse. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. See, I think that's, that's a real simple thing, but you know what? Oftentimes, we don't even think about the simple thing. How about thanks to God 
for your wife or for your husband? How about thanks to God for your children, for family in general, for work, for the opportunity to provide an income for your family? These are all wonderful things that the Lord has given to you for which we ought to be grateful. My hope is that you would thank God, though, for the salvation He's given to you through Jesus Christ. We're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The text lends itself right here to a natural segue toward the cross. So since that's where the text's going, that's where I'm going this morning. We're going to take this to the cross. We're just going to transition here shortly into the Lord's Supper. According to the prayer here in Colossians chapter 1, what is it that we are to give thanks for? text says that the Father has qualified us. He's made us competent. Because, you see, without His qualification, without His stamp of competency, we would be no partaker of the inheritance in the saints. This is God's work for which we ought to be grateful Eternally grateful. God has done this, church. I have been deemed competent by God the Father. Not because any merit of my own. Right, because Ephesians says that I'm saved by what? Grace, through faith, that not of my own. It's a gift of God. I have nothing here to boast of, nor do you. He's given to me opportunity to participate in this inheritance of the saints. This inheritance of the saints is said to be in the light. Fitting, I believe, since God himself is light. Jesus himself declares, I am the light of the world. The Holy Spirit himself illumines our way. Shines the light toward Christ. Points us toward Christ. The word of God, even, from the scriptures. The word of God serves as a light, does it not? And the Bible says that a child of God is to walk in the light as he is in the light. So the prayer here for the Colossians. Key part of the prayer that I want you to get is that the prayer was that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Why? So that they might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And characteristic of walking worthy of the Lord, characteristic of fully pleasing Him, is being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all might, in particular in times of trial, patience, endurance, with joy, and giving thanks to God. I'm practicing this particular prayer for the church here at Hope in Christ. I learned much this week. What a joy to have a church filled to the full with the knowledge of God's will. If this is the result of being filled with the knowledge of the Father's will, I'm in. As an elder, I desire for all of you to be in on this as well. This is exciting. This is wonderful news. And as we all do this together, we get to do this together, not so that we can pat each other on the back, so that we can give God glory. Give Him thanks. Servers, if you would like to go ahead and prepare for the bread and the cup, 
We'll get to that in just a moment. Church, continue looking at the text. We're almost through the text. Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It's interesting that at the end of verse 12, he said that talking about this partakers of the inheritance of saints in the light. And then the next thing he says, which is fact, by the way, he has delivered us. He has rescued us. He has himself pulled us out of a kingdom of darkness See, that's where we once were, right? Ephesians chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3 tells us that. You were once dead. God made you alive. And in that whole process of making you alive, Paul's writing here in Colossians, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. But, but as good, as wonderful news as that is, he didn't stop there. He didn't just rescue you. He didn't just deliver you. He didn't just take you out of that darkness. Look at the wonderful news that's attached to it. And conveyed us, transferred us. So he took us out of this darkness, this deadness that we were in. He took us out of there. Praise God, he took us out of there. But then in his goodness, in his kindness... He takes us from there and He transfers us. He conveys us into another kingdom. This kingdom of light. This kingdom of love. This kingdom of the Son. Oh, now He's talking about the Son. You see, He's been talking about God the Father. And now He's talking about the Son. And He's going to keep talking about the Son in the next several verses. transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You see, this kingdom of the Son, I'm reminded of Romans 5, but God demonstrates His own love. That phrase, His own love, has in mind His own unique, special love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he delivered us from the power of darkness, took us out of that, conveyed us, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And that's wonderful. That's good news. But maybe perhaps this morning, maybe you're still thinking, well, how did he do that? How'd that that all happen? Verse 14. In whom, that goes along with the Son, by the way, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. What a privilege. You see, church, we're going to participate in this Lord's Supper. We have opportunity to participate in it every Sunday. I pray every Sunday it would be a reminder of God taking us out of this kingdom of darkness and just transferring us into this kingdom of the Son of his love. And how he did that was through a cross upon which his son Jesus Christ died. And Jesus went to the cross and he died for the sins of many, Scripture says. He died. He died with a purpose. Yes, he was carrying out the will of his father. But in carrying out the will of his father, he was also transferring this great exchange took place at the cross and we got the better end of the deal. 
because he took our sins upon himself when he went to the cross. And in going to the cross and defeating the principalities and the, and the principles of darkness, all that stuff, he took it all away. He wiped it all the way at the cross. And at the cross, and we see just a few days later, there was an empty tomb. Praise the Lord, there was an empty tomb. Because our Savior lives. He's not dead. He lives. Because He lives. Because He has ascended. In that great exchange that took place, He gives to us His Son's perfect righteousness. Among many things. But that being one of the central things that's given to us. Church, we have much to be grateful for. This text today, while much of it is a prayer, I do believe as we see the the transition into 13 and 14, it lends itself for us to understand, you see, Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, that cup of juice we're going to drink in just a moment, is representative of the blood of Jesus Christ. He died. For your sins. Let's be reminded of that today. One of the other wonderful truths of that text. The last phrase. The forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, church. That's it. That's it. What a wonderful, glorious truth for us to take in this morning. I'm going to pray. Following the prayer, we're going to sing about the power of this cross that we're speaking of here. We're going to sing, and I believe it's in our yellow binder. I don't know what page number. Do you have a a page? Greg's going to track that for me maybe in just a second. After we pray, we're going to sing page 6 in the yellow binder. Okay, we'll pray. We're going to sing following the song. Servers, you can come, distribute the bread and the cup, and we'll partake together after everyone has received the bread and the cup. All right? So let's pray. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll pray together. Father God, I thank you for this wonderful word today in the book of Colossians. I thank you for this prayer, this heartfelt, this genuine prayer that Paul gives as he's moved by the Spirit for the church at Colossae. Lord, I pray that while it is a prayer specific to the church in Colossae, I pray, Lord, that this would also be a prayer for hope in Christ. Father, I ask of you that you would fill each one here with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that this body might walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you. Father, as evidence characteristic of such a walk, I pray that what would be seen would be fruit. That this body would be fruitful. I pray that this body would be increasing and growing in the knowledge of God. I pray that would be evidenced in the way they live their lives. I pray, Father, also that in the midst of trial, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of these things in our lives that come our way. Oh, Father, I pray that you would strengthen them with your glorious power. Give them endurance. Give them patience. And allow them, Lord, I pray, to go through these things with joy, the joy of Christ. And, Father, I pray that this church may also be about giving thanks to you that this church would be a church filled with hearts of gratitude 
for all the good things you've given, Lord, but also, and especially so, the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, may we be grateful every day during the day of this wonderful salvation that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking us out of darkness and moving us, transferring us into the kingdom of your son, this kingdom of your son characterized by love. Oh, Father, thank you for that, that it's in Christ, it's in him that we have redemption. The word says that we have been bought with a price. Oh, it was great price to you, Father. May we not neglect that price. May we be good stewards of this salvation you've given to us. And Father, may we rejoice in the forgiveness of sins that's offered and given to us through Jesus, through the cross. Oh, Lord, just now I pray we have been reminded of the power of the cross. As we partake of the bread and the cup, Lord, I pray we would do so in a manner worthy, pleasing to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your love toward us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.